Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Empress Lu of the Han Dynasty. This is a gruesome story, so consider yourselves warned. I was recently reminded of this story, but in some ways. We've already set the scene for it、uh, in past episodes. In our episode on Judge D, Dianjie, and the detective stories based on his life, we mentioned Wu Zetian, the only woman ever to claim the title of emperor in Chinese history. But there were other powerful women who effectively exercised imperial power without literally taking the title. Empress Lu of the Han Dynasty was one of them, and we previously did an episode on the founding of the Han, and that's the background to all this. So, just to remind you of the chronology, we are again now in the late third century BC, the beginning of the second century BC. As you may recall from that earlier episode. On the rise of the Han Dynasty, the founder of the Han was a man named Liu Bang. But before he leapt onto the national stage and into our history books, Liu Bang was pretty much a good for nothing. During the Qing Dynasty, he had been a petty criminal, and then he somehow became a petty official. He had reached his forties. Essentially, without accomplishing anything. But then one day, Liu Bang heard that a local gentleman, one Mister Liu, was holding a dinner at his house for the who's who's of their county. Liu Bang's friend and future adviser Xiao He was in charge of making arrangements for Mister Liu. For his dinner. Now, Xiao He knew that the event was meant to reflect the social pecking order of the county. So he made a rule: only those guests who brought more than a thousand copper coins worth of gifts could actually come into the house. The rest, the poor relations, as it were, had to sit in the extension. Outside, one imagines they set up a tent or marquee of some sort、um, for the overflow. When Liu Bang showed up, he was told about the rule and asked, "Well, how much did you bring?" Although Liu Bang was actually basically broke and he brought actually nothing at all, he pledged a gift of ten thousand copper coins to Mister Liu. It was a complete bluff. It was a bald-faced lie, but it worked, and he was ushered into the house as an honored guest. As it turned out, this Mister Liu was seriously into phrenology, and as soon as he was introduced to Liu Bang, as soon as he took a good look at him, Mister Liu decided that this man, who had just 
bluffed his way into his house. This man was destined for greatness. Even Xiao He, who again was a friend of Liu Bang's and would later turn out to be one of his most important advisors, said to Mister Liu at this time, "Hey, this guy Liu Bang, he's a he's a, he's a guy who talks a big talk, but he never does anything." But Mister Liu wouldn't listen. Instead, he married his twenty-year-old daughter to this. Penniless crook, more than twenty years her senior, and who, by the way, Liu Bang, by the way, already had a sort of a common-law wife with whom he had a son. This daughter of Mister Liu was named Liu Zhi. Then the Qing Dynasty began to collapse, and various factions rose up to fight the Qing, including one. Faction that was led by Liu Bang. During the years of confused fighting, Liu Zhi actually suffered a fair bit due to her husband. At one point, after Liu Bang suffered a terrible defeat at the hands of his chief rival Xiang Yu, Liu Zhi and several other Liu family members actually became Xiang Yu's prisoners. When A couple of years after that, Xiang Yu let her go, and she returned to Liu Bang's side. She found, to her great annoyance, that her husband had picked up a younger and prettier concubine, named Lady Qi. After, Liu Bang succeeded in becoming emperor and establishing the Han Dynasty. Liu Zhi, now. Empress Liu set out to consolidate her own power. First, she began killing the men who had helped helped her husband ascend to the throne. In our founding of the Han Dynasty episode, we talked a little bit about this. We talked about how the wise Zhang Liang, who knew when to walk away, left politics precisely at that moment. And he got to live out his days in the mountains. But his peer Han Xing was not as wise, and was killed. And Empress Liu was substantially behind Han Xing's killing. Another important general, another important general from this time was Peng Yu. Empress Liu not only had him killed. But had his body ground into mincemeat, which she then distributed, sent around to all the other lords, as forewarning. But her greatest rival, ultimately, was another woman, the aforementioned Lady Qi. Empress Liu was Liu Bang's proper wife. But Lady Qi was younger and prettier, and the emperor clearly enjoyed Lady Qi's company better. And Liu Bang had had sons with both women. Empress Liu's son Liu Ying was the crown prince, as he had priority, being the son of the so-called chief wife rather than the concubine. 
But the more time that the emperor spent with Lady Qi, the more he thought, well, maybe he could make her son the crown prince instead. So Empress Lu pulled out all the stops to make sure that her husband didn't change his mind. He came very close, but ultimately she succeeded. Until the day he died in 195 BC, Liu Bang never could pull the trigger and change the crown prince. So once he died, his son, Empress Liu's son, Liu Ying, became Emperor Huidi of the Han. But Empress Liu held the real power behind the throne. Okay, so if the general who got ground into mincemeat earlier isn't gnarly enough for you, um, this is where the story gets truly gruesome. So don't say you weren't warned. Now that Empress Liu held all the cards, she finally took her revenge on Lady Qi. First of all, she enslaved Lady Qi, turned her into a slave, shaved off her hair, kept her in chains, and made her perform hard labor. Then she had Lady Qi's son, her own son's half-brother, the one who was almost made the crown prince. She had him poisoned and killed. Then Empress Lu took Lady Qi and scooped out her eyes so that she was blind. Then she made her deaf and mute. Then she cut off Lady Qi's arms and legs. Then she threw her into the latrine and made her live there. Then she ordered everyone to refer to Lady Qi not by her name, but as the human swine. Then she had a eunuch take her own son, Empress Huidi, to the latrine to witness her handiwork, this human swine. The emperor was shocked upon seeing this pitiable victim of the most merciless torture. He didn't even recognize his own father's erstwhile concubine. He had to be told. And upon being told that this human swine was in fact Lady Qi, and that his own mother was the author of all her suffering, Emperor Huidi had some kind of a psychological breakdown. He said to his own mother, what you did to Lady Qi was not something that a human being ought to be capable of doing. If I am your son, then I must be unfit to rule the country. So he stopped coming to court, stopped doing his work, and instead spent all his time drinking. Soon thereafter, he died. So now that she had outlived both her husband and her son, Empress Liu held all the power. 
she began to make her own relatives, surnamed Lü, the brothers, the nephews, the grandnephews, lords of various fiefdoms and domains, at the expense of the members of the imperial family, surnamed Liu. And this was the beginning of an unfortunate pattern in Han Dynasty politics, in which the family members of the empress often formed one of the major and often dominant quote-unquote parties at court. Finally, on August 19th, 180 BC, Empress Liu's time came, and she died. And as soon as she died, those generals who had helped her husband to the throne, and who had survived her purge some years earlier, now came back to exact their revenge, led by Chancellor Chen Ping. Over the course of 66 days, the generals plotted against the Liu family and, in the end, massacred all of them, all the ones that Empress Liu had earlier made lords of various domains. Okay, so I warned you that the story was going to get gnarly, but there is a point to it. When we tell stories of imperial politics from ancient China, it's often too easy to imagine the emperors as the centers of power and the primary actors on the historical stage. In theory, of course, that was supposed to be the case. And no doubt many emperors wanted to imagine themselves in such a position. But just as an absolutist monarch in Europe was never absolute, so an emperor of China rarely, if ever, was able to impose his will on everyone around him just because it was his will. The tale of Empress Lu, particularly in its denouement, illustrates this fact. In effect, in effect, three political parties emerged in the early Han Dynasty. First, there were those of Liu Bang's relatives, surnamed Liu. By custom, only they could be eligible to be emperor. Unless, of course, you wanted to overthrow the dynasty altogether and just begin again. Second, there were the relatives of the empress, surnamed Lu. In the wake of Liu Bang's death, they became the dominant party for some 15 years. And finally, there were the generals who had fought with Liu Bang and helped him found the Han Dynasty. Initially beaten down, this third party came back strong to triumph over the others. In fact, in the wake of the coup of 180 BC, Chancellor Chen Ping and his fellow old generals were in a position to pick the next emperor from among the male members of the Liu family. They could pick the next guy and they could fire him if he displeased them. So much then for being the son of heaven. All right, I think we'll end that story there.
This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.